I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And ending at verse 23, the Lord will bless his truth to our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. And it's going to do the same thing this week it did last week. Whoa, is that me? I think it is. Yeah, that's me. Go back. Go back. Okay. Right, we're good to go. So, okay. Only twice in my life have I ever rode in a Rolls Royce. The first time was when I was a child and I was with my mum and dad and my brothers and we were visiting a friend of my dad's who was quite a well-known businessman in Northern Ireland, TBF Thompson, at his home in Garva. And during the course of that evening, he asked us if we'd like to go out with him for a spin in his Rolls Royce, so we did. The second time I was in Rolls Royce was the day of my daughter Esther's wedding when we rode a vintage Rolls Royce from our home to the church. I remember the first occasion for the car. I remember the second occasion for something else altogether. The pure, radiant joy which filled my daughter's life and shone luminously from her face. It was unforgettable. It was beautiful. And joy is like that. It's beautiful in and of itself, and it is a significant element in the Christian life. When C.S. Lewis wrote the book which traces the early part of his life leading up to his conversion to Christianity, he entitled that book, Surprised by Joy. It wasn't what he expected. For him, Christianity was dreary, you know? Um, it was boring, it was 
It was something he didn't want to become a part of. It lacked imagination. It lacked all the things that were important to him. He thought, but when he finally gave in to the Christ, he could no longer resist. He was surprised by joy. Joy is part of the produce of a spirit-filled life. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, and so on. And joy plays an important part in what Paul has to say to the Philippians in this letter that we've been studying together. So much so that joy is, according to one commentator, the keynote of the epistle. The last song you just sang a couple of moments ago was in the key of B-flat. It's called the key of B-flat because the bass note of the key is the note B-flat. So it's called the key of B-flat because of the keynote, the signature note of the key, the B-flat. That's what keynote means. Keynote is the signature note of a key. So when you use it metaphorically, as it is used by this commentator to describe the significance of joy in Paul's letter to the Philippians, what is it saying? It is saying that basically joy is a prevailing tone or a central theme of the epistle. Wow. Think about that for a moment. If that's true, if joy is a keynote of the epistle to the Philippians, then the keynote of Philippians is an emotion, which is a little bit strange at the start because we spent the last two Sundays talking about how for Paul, states of mind were so important, how he underlines in those couple of sections that we looked at that how Christians think really matters. And he tries to persuade the people he's writing to to think like him, to think like Christ and to judge and assess the things around them with that mindset. That mindset, we discovered, is so important. So how we think is important in the Christian life. But if joy is the keynote of this epistle, then how we feel is also important in the Christian life. And when it comes to emotions, that can be difficult. Ruth Healy Barton, in her book, Sacred Rhythms, quotes from another author about how our purely rational faculties are so hyper-developed in our culture and in our normal modes of learning that we are not going to have to worry about getting them out of balance. Yes, we must love God with all of our mind. However, we must remember that the injunction to love God with all of our minds comes a little further down the road in Jesus' list. Loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul precedes loving God with all of our mind. Emotions matter. How our heart relates to God is as important as how our mind relates to God. And in the letter to the Philippians, this crops up again and again. Paul doesn't just talk about states of mind. He also talks about the state of his heart. And in today's passage, the one we just read, Paul says, thanks to the Philippians for their generosity to him. They had supported him way back when no one else did. 
And just before this letter was written, he had received gifts from them whilst he was imprisoned in Rome. And the gratitude that Paul feels for this expression of fellowship and partnership occasions in his life the expression of something else. The very first verse of the reading said this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. There it is. There's joy. What I want to think about for the time that we have this morning is where did Paul find and experience this fruit of the Spirit, this joy in his life? Because if we can figure out from what he says to the Philippians about where he located that joy in his life and his experience, it might help us to locate it in ours. Because as I look around the room this morning, I have to be really honest with you guys, I don't see a lot of joy. I see a lot of other things, but I don't see a lot of joy, okay? Maybe you're looking at me and thinking, well, you're one to talk. <laughs> so where would we locate that joy in our lives? If it is a fruit of the Spirit, if it is something that God is already doing within us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, where is it? Well, we discover in the letter to the Philippians that first of all, Paul found joy in his calling, in the early verses of this letter, Paul talks about how his imprisonment has advanced the gospel. If you can think back long enough when we looked at that first chapter, you'll remember that. And the reason why Paul was so excited about how things were going, even though he was in prison, was because a lot more preaching was going on. And while some of that preaching was being done for the right reasons, some of it was actually being done to upset Paul. The thing is, though, Paul isn't upset. He said in chapter 1, verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Why was Paul rejoicing when he discovered that some people were preaching the gospel to do him harm? Well, the answer is because Paul's calling was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this task became such a deep joy to him in his heart that not even spiteful evangelism could take it away. In fact, so much so that the fruit of this calling that Paul had to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The fruit of this calling was not only the validation of his ministry. So when Paul preached and people came to faith, it was a validation of what he was doing. It was a demonstration to him that God truly had called him to this, equipped him for it, and poured the Spirit out upon him so that he could do it. And all these churches that are planted and all these lives that are changed is a huge validation of that understanding of his calling and ministry. But that wasn't all it was. It also became the joy of his heart. The fruit of that ministry became the joy of his heart. Speaking about the Philippians, the first verse of chapter four of his letter, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my joy. These, these people that, who were the fruit of his ministry, they were his joy. And it's fitting in a way that he speaks of them like this. 
Because Acts chapter 16 records that when Paul first came to Philippi, he ended up in prison. And while he was there during the evening, as you probably know from the story, there was an earthquake and there was a a great disruption and so on. But while all this was happening, what was Paul doing? It tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Paul was praying and praising in the cell where he was. Now, Roman jails were not pleasant places. They're not remotely like 21st century prisons. It was grim. But in this situation, Paul was expressing his joy and rejoicing in the Lord. At that time, when this was going on in Paul's life, it is recorded in the book of the Acts that only one person had come to faith in Philippi, Lydia, the businesswoman. Yet that one life, that one manifestation of the power of the Spirit to change someone's heart by the preaching of the gospel was enough for Paul to be singing in a prison cell. In over 40 years in ministry, I have cried many tears. I remember one evening when Christine was in Derry, with her mum and dad, one of them wasn't well. I can't remember now which one of them it was. And I had been out at a, at a, at a, a session meeting, meeting of elders, not in my current church. Uh, well, I'm not in the current church now, not in the church I just retired from. <laughs> uh, remember, John, catch up. So uh, I just had returned into the session meeting. I rang Christine later on that evening to see how things were in Derry, and we were chatting and talking on the phone, and all of a sudden it just overwhelmed me I, I, I was completely broken in the phone call with her. I, I burst out into tears. Somebody had said something in the meeting. It had been one of the most demeaning and, um, things that I think I'd ever, been, had, had ever been said to me as a Christian leader. And although I got over it okay at the time and I managed to finish the meeting, as I started to tell her about it later, I was completely broken. I was a mess on the phone. I remember that event because it was so rare the vast majority of tears that I ever cried in ministry were not tears of sadness. They were tears of joy. And when you know you are doing what God made you and redeemed you to do, whatever that is, for me that was Christian ministry. I don't know what it is for you, but when you are doing what you know God made you and redeemed you to do, it is great joy. Smith Wigglesworth was a famous evangelist um, and Christian leader. And uh, in, in England, he came from Bradford. He was a plumber, almost illiterate whenever he found faith in Christ. But like many men, he, the best thing he did in his life was he married a good woman. Her name was Polly. And Polly was more able than him. She was a really good preacher. She had confidence in Smith when he had no confidence in himself. And it was largely Polly and her life and her influence and her prayers and her determination that turned Smith Smith Wigglesworth into the evangelist and healer that he eventually became. But on one occasion when Polly was talking to him about what it felt like to do what she thought God had called her to do with her life, which was to, to preach the gospel, she said this to him on one occasion. She said, Smith, you watch me when I'm preaching. I get so near to heaven when I'm preaching that someday... 
I'll be off. And that's exactly what happened on New Year's Day, 1913. After preaching in the Boland Street Mission in Bradford, her heart gave up and she died. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? God has purpose for that life. There is a calling on your life if you trust him and you know him. And when you get to the point of understanding what that calling is and then living that calling out to do what you know you were born for and what you know you were redeemed for, then there you will locate the joy of the Lord. Paul's joy was in his calling. But then, secondly, you'll find it in his relationships. Most of the references to joy in Paul's life in this letter are about his relationship with the Philippians. Right at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 4, he says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you take a quick scan through Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, over and over again, you'll find him referring to his relationship to the Philippians, and he uses a particular word, which in the NIV translation, if that's what you use, is usually translated by the word partnership or sharing, okay? The partnership he had with them, the work in which they shared with him in. And each time he does that, like in the reading today, because we read it earlier in Philippians 4 and 14, he said, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And when you see that expression in the NIV, that that they shared in his troubles, or uh, they were involved in a partnership with him in the gospel, the word that is being translated there is the Greek word koinonia, which is usually translated fellowship. When we talk about Christian fellowship, we talk about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's the word that... That's the English translation of this word. And it occurs quite a number of times in this letter, and Paul uses it to refer to his relationship with the Philippians. This fellowship that he had, sharing together in the work, partnership in the gospel, this fellowship brought Paul deep joy. This partnership This fellowship brought him joy, but it not only made him glad. After revealing to the Philippians that above all else, he wanted to be with Christ, if you can cast your mind back when we were looking at Philippians chapter one, and Paul says that, that you you want to ask me where I want to be right now? I want to be with Jesus. That, he says, would be better by far. But, He goes on to say that he knows that it would be better for the Philippians if he stayed. And so he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I love that bit. Because you can understand why it would make sense for Paul to stay for their progress in the faith, okay? Who knew more than he did? who was more capable of mentoring them and teaching them and guiding them into truth and helping them make good decisions about church and about outreach and about their personal lives. So you can see how Paul hanging around would enable them to progress in the faith. But he adds to it this other bit. 
If I hang around, you'll have joy as well. Hey, how many Christian leaders, when they hang around, bring you joy? Don't answer the question. If I stay with you, there's going to be a lot of joy. See, Paul wanted to win the Gentiles. It's indisputable. It's across everything he ever wrote, everything he ever did after he came to Christ to win the Gentiles. He wanted to see the church built up. It's indisputable. That's why he writes all these letters and takes all this time and prays so lovingly for all these peoples. Over and over again, in this letter and in all his writings, he comes back to this point. But, but, winning the Gentiles and seeing the church built up was not an empire-building pursuit. It was all about joy. The joy of being remembered in Christian fellowship. The joy of being part of something that is not just you and God, however exciting you and God is, but it's something much more than that. It's about being part of something that you share in, that you have partnership in, that you are remembered in. And it is great joy. One evening, Christine and I were going to Lyric uh, Theatre for a show and whenever we were at Queen's all those years ago in the, the early Middle Ages, um, the, the, the only thing that was open in Belfast virtually at night was the Lyric Theatre. Everything else was bombed or closed and and so actually, when we were at university together, that was probably the place we went most often if there was a chance to go out. And so just a few years ago, we were going back to see a play at the Lyric Theatre. By that time, the person who at that particular point in time was managing the facility was a person who came in our first alpha course in the black box and was in my alpha small group. And uh, during, I'll never forget the night when on the alpha weekend on the Saturday evening, I sat with him he had come on the course um, as, if not an atheist, certainly a staunch agnostic, grown up in a Catholic background. Very few words that were any way good to say about church. And I'll never forget the evening in Newcastle when I sat with him on the Saturday evening and he prayed the sorry, please, thank you prayer. And uh, it, it it was amazing, and, and we kept in touch after that, after the course was over. And so that evening, when I booked the tickets earlier in the week, I wondered if he was going to be around, because I hadn't seen him for a few months. And so I sent him a text and said, hey, Christine, may I come to the show tonight? Are you, are you there tonight? Are you around? He texted me back and said, no, John, I'm not there tonight. I've been working two or three nights this week, so I won't be there tonight, but I hope you enjoy the show. Maybe we'll grab a coffee in a couple of weeks' time. So that was okay. Christine and me went to the Lyric Theatre and we came in and we came in, our tickets came in. Uh, I had to pick the tickets up, bought them online, had to pick them up at the desk. When I picked the tickets up at the desk, there was a note with the tickets and the note with the tickets said that uh, at the half-time interval, there was a drink for Christine and me uh, at the half-time interval. And you might think, well, so What? But there was joy in that because all of a sudden we felt remembered. This person who I had come to know through the experience of him going on a journey, the bond of faith in Jesus Christ, remembered us in that simple, ordinary kind of way. 
sharing, partnership, being remembered. That's the joy of Christian fellowship. After Christine died, I got probably about 450 cards from loads of different people to express condolence. Probably the bulk of those cards, maybe about 250 of them, came from members of Carnmoney. Every single one of those cards had a story in it. Most of the stories I didn't know. They were all really simple things like leaving a drink for somebody, half time at a theater. They were really simple things. Intentional conversations. Small gifts at particular moments of time. Ways in which she had expressed her joy and brought joy to other people. Ways of doing fellowship in relationship. Joy is in relationships. It is found in the Christian fellowship amongst other people, people who remember you, remember significant dates. Think about small gifts that might bring a smile to your face. Spend time with your kids. Just be there for you. A text message, something really simple. Paul found joy in Christian relationships. Whose life can you bring that joy to? Something simple that you could do. Nobody else needs ever to know about it. I didn't even know all these hundreds of things my wife had been doing. I didn't know about any of them. She never said. Paul found joy in relationships and he brought joy in relationship. And finally, Paul found joy in his Lord. To live life out of a sense of calling and to do it in the company of friends brings deep joy to the believer. But there is a deeper source yet. Paul says in Philippians 3, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And this experience of joy is not merely a reaction to pleasant circumstances or for a particular season in life. Because there are times we feel happier than others, okay? And I'm not equating happiness to joy. But there are times in life when things seem to be going better than others, you know? And, and so when Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord, maybe he's in good days. Remember, he's writing these words from prison. It's hardly going to be exciting times. But it's not just for a season. Not just for a time when you feel good. Because Paul goes on to say in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. This is not something connected to circumstances or seasons. And this joy is great because it embraces the other two sources of joy. The source of joy in calling and the source of joy in relationships is embraced within the joy we have in the Lord. Paul says in verse 10 of Philippians 4, which we read a moment or two ago, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you revealed your concern for me. There's Paul's calling, there's Paul's relationships, and there's his joy in the Lord, all three in the one sentence. Paul was active in his calling. And this had brought him to prison where he gratefully received the fellowship of the Philippians in gifts that would make his imprisonment the more bearable. But in all of this, it was the Lord who was at work. 
and it was from the Lord that the overwhelming joy came. Do we regard Paul as a great theologian? Some, if not much, of his writing is beyond us intellectually. We don't really completely understand it ourselves. And he is a great writer and a great thinker. And as we discovered these past few weeks, how we think as believers mattered to Paul. But having said all that, Paul was also a man through whom ran deep currents of emotion. He wrote these words to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. The life I now live in the body, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here, we don't really have theological language. Here, we don't have some quasi-mathematical calculation about the effectiveness of the cross. Here, Paul talks about redemption in the most personal and intimate terms. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To know that you are loved like that is to know joy. And that's because it's the way we're wired. We were wired to react like that, to the, an expression and experience of love like that. It's who we are. It's how we're formed. And so when we discover that love of God, when it is, as Paul says elsewhere, shed abroad in our hearts, then there comes with it joy. Remember the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume worth a year's wages. And she brings the box into a room where Jesus is. And not just a few drops, but she breaks the box and she empties all of its contents over his feet to the degree that the room, it says, is filled with the fragrance. What on earth was she doing? Expressing joy because she was loved. Loved by Jesus in a way no other man had ever loved her. No other person on earth had ever loved her. No other person had ever done anything for her or sacrificed for her like this person over whom she breaks the jar and spills out the perfume. It was an expression of joy in the Lord. When they came to Smith Wigglesworth with the news that his wife Polly was gone, there was silence for a moment or two. The police officer who had come from the church to bring him the news waited to see what Wigglesworth would do. And then, to the astonishment and complete confusion of the police officer and some other people who were standing around, Wigglesworth began to praise God in tongues and to laugh in the spirit. His biographer said that he did this for he knew that Polly had achieved her most cherished goal to be with her Lord. Paul says that there was joy in the Lord. And because of what God has done for us and in us by the work of his Holy Spirit, the real and deepest location where joy will be found in our lives is in him in our relationship with him.
Only one thing renders earthly events and circumstances ineffective in ruling our lives. And that one thing is joy in the Lord. The joy that we find in our calling. In what God has made us and redeemed us to do. The joy that we find in our relationships with those other people who share with us a like faith in the Lord Jesus. The community in which we share, in which we have partnership, in which we are remembered. And the joy that we have in the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. We need to seek that joy. Not just because it would make us an awful lot more bearable to live with or to work with or to sit beside in church. But also because that joy is uniquely important and significant in our following of God. Nehemiah looks at the people of God standing assembled before him one day and he says to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The context of that remark is that as the wall is being rebuilt, they have rediscovered the law of the Lord. They have set aside a day and Ezra has come along with the other Levites and they have read and interpreted to the people the law of the Lord and uh, it's a holy day and so the inclination of people on holy days is to do what people often do on holy days and especially in churches which is to be very serious and very solemn and very quiet and respectful, just like you all are now, because that's what we do. And Nehemiah said to them, I don't want to see any of this for the rest of today. I want you to get out of here. I want you to go home and eat a feast together among your families and among your friends. I want you to celebrate. There is to be no weeping. There is to be no mourning on this day. Sure enough, the law of the Lord has revealed to us that we're sinful people that there's a lot of stuff about our lives that is not pleasing to him and that we need to get sorted out and all. But I don't want any talk about this kind of stuff today. What we want to do today is to rejoice because the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is a holy day. This is no time for solemnity. This is a time for joy and rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Relocating that joy in our lives, wherever it is, wherever we have lost it, or wherever it has got buried, is a really significant thing. Not just because it'll make us better people to get on with, but because it will be our strength in the service and love of our Savior. It will equip this fellowship to do what this fellowship has been called to do to reach this city. We can't do it without joy. Joy in our calling. Joy in our relationships and joy in our Savior.